Super Dave. Jim English in person again. How are you? I am doing fabulous. And thank you for being flexible about the timing here. Always. This is, uh, yeah, we have, uh, this is Jim English and welcome to the Who Gives a Shit Files. This is Super Dave and Jim show and where we talk about the NBA, which is really in full swing now. And Super Dave, as we've discussed before, Super Dave did not give himself the nickname. That was bequeathed to him from some other people that know him that are also named Dave. So want to let you know that that's the case. And also, too, is on this podcast, I want to thank Dave for his flexibility because we just got a brand new puppy. We had to pick it up at the airport this morning. So the household, the English household, is somewhat abuzz with two dogs, you know, two my daughter and her boyfriend and my wife and I, it's just, it's pretty crazy now. So anyways, thank you for being flexible, Super Dave. Well, the NBA is pretty crazy itself right now. It is. And as always, we start this off to a, a testimonial to Randy Larson. What would you like to say about our dear friend, Randy? Well, Randy Larson was one of the finest basketball players I ever saw. And he was um, a scorer in the pure sense of the word. Those that saw him play, uh, you know, they certainly don't discuss his defense necessarily. But when it came to shooting the basketball, he was 6'5 and lean and mean. And, and he just had an acrobatic way of getting in the air, squaring up to the basket and nailing that shot. And he was, uh, he was phenomenal. And I met him on the courts of, Live Oak Park down in Manhattan Beach in 1970-71. And uh, we were friends for 50 years thereafter, Jim. And, of course, all the friends that uh, used to gather around Live Oak Park and then ultimately throughout Southern California remember Randy Larson as much for his personality as for his basketball prowess. And I, I was just proud to know him, Jim. And you were one of the fortunate ones that actually was a roommate with him for several years. So... I just think it's uh, it's a great thing to uh, to have his memory uh, with us because uh, a couple of years ago he passed away with uh, some uh, serious complications to cancer and it it's kind of strange. Jim, he Randy almost seemed indestructible, but obviously none of us are. No, he he uh, he. Uh, you know, it's interesting you say that because he was never hurt. I mean, I was rooming with him when he was 40 years old. He was actually over 40, like 43, 44. And he would play basketball four or five days a week. And he never went down. He never got a sprained ankle. I mean, he had aches and bruises, but nothing would stop him from going out there to compete. And we are talking about concrete outside. We're not talking about some gym floor that's got give to it. So his durability is something really to emphasize because of the fact he, Super Dave, would go out there, you know, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then once or twice during the week, and he would go play. And, I mean, it was amazing that he could last that long. And in the mid-'60s, Jim, he played – almost daily for the army. He was, uh, 
he was recruited. I mean, once he got uh, drafted, he he was. Uh, they found out he was a basketball player, and he got on the on the team. Uh, and they traveled all around, and all he did was play basketball probably seven days a week. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a good point because, you know, it's an interesting story is that, you know, he did play on the all-Army team, okay? And they had about 20 – he told me the story after more than a couple of beers, and it's an interesting story. Uh, And I don't like to talk about racism, but this is applicable here. So Randy told me that they were going to keep 12 players and there were about 20 players that played that tried out for the team and every one of them was good. And keep in mind, now keep in mind the pressure was either make the team or go to Vietnam. So you could either sit in a jungle in Vietnam, smoking pot, hoping some poor bastard doesn't shoot you when you're invading their country, or you could travel all over the United States playing basketball, eating steak, and really enjoying yourself. So there was a lot of pressure to make that team because, once again, you didn't make it, you went to Vietnam. And the sad part about that is, which was fortunate for Randy, as he tells the story, they only kept two black players on the team. They were only they were allocated only to black players. And if they would have had open tryouts in a fair way, Randy said he wouldn't have made the team, that the there would have been much more black players on the team and he would have gone to Vietnam. So it's kind of an interesting story. It's fraught with racism, but nonetheless Randy was the beneficiary of that situation. And, and he was uh, he was as good as they came, and 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 that just speaks to his durability. Because once again, yeah, I don't remember him ever being hurt either. Uh, I'm quite the opposite of that. But in the army, it just sounded like uh, he was. That's where his durability was built up. I mean, obviously, you know, conditioning uh, in the armed forces is is uh, you know primary. But boy, the way. Uh, the way he played basketball, uh, it was amazing that he he lasted as long as he did and uh, was just uh, as durable as he was a, a phenomenal player and, and and just a great guy. And it's just great that we dedicate each one of our podcasts to Randy Larson. Jim, that's you know it, a great idea you had doing this. Well, thank you for participating, Super Dave. And, you know, it's also interesting about Randy is that he was a mailman uh, and you're talking about a person with a very vast intellect here uh, went to stanford and I, you know i pride myself on my memory and my grasp of numbers but he would absolutely destroy me in trivial pursuit and he was he was really really smart but what he would do super dave is he would walk a five mile route giving mail to everybody and then show up at the courts, and this is age 40 years old. I mean, this was this was truly an amazing feat of durability and consistency at an advanced age with a job. It's not like that he sat around all day doing nothing. He was walking, delivering mail, had his route, and then he would go play basketball for a couple hours. Astounding. He was an astounding man. Yeah, well, we love him and we miss him. Now, 
to tip off the NBA. Now, I got a question for you because you started off the last show by talking about all the injuries in the NBA and all these players. And it's interesting that somebody with a a ferocious competitor like Jimmy Butler gets hurt. I mean, he scored 40 in the first game against Boston, 41, I believe. He got like 12 last night, but he was four for 18 shooting. And there's, you know, Tyler Hero is out. And you've got Marcus Smart banged up. Do you think these players, Super Dave, are overtraining? Because this didn't happen. I mean, you think of Kareem and Larry Bird and Magic and all the dynasties of the past, even even with, uh, say, the San Antonio of the early 2000s, the Shaq and Kobe era, the, the Boston era back in the, in the 60s. These players played every game. Do you why? I mean, do you think the only thing I can come up with is like, you know, you know that somebody like Jimmy Butler, who's a ferocious competitor, is not like, you know, trying to dodge or he's not pulling a a Ben Simmons and, you know, somebody hurt my feeling. He is an intense competitor, yet he is so hobbled. Do you think that they're just over training? I mean, what, what do you think it is? Well, uh, it's not overtraining. I, I don't. I wouldn't have counted to any of that. But the game now uh, is is a uh, there. There's so much more acrobatic uh, things are done in the air around the basket, and you see guys hitting the floor more than I've ever seen guys hitting the floor in my era of playing. And I played at a pretty high level, and and you, it was rare that you see a body hit the floor. Now. They're all over the place. Hell, Embiid is uh, is on the floor like three or four times every quarter, you know. And what happens is the body can only take so much. And I think the three-point shot sort of opens up the middle a little more for the drive. So even though you have a, a prolific uh, and, and a proliferation of outside shooting from the three-point line, you also have a, a, a more driving acrobatic uh, athlete that's going into the air and 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 the injuries have been so critical not only in the regular season but now come the playoffs that hell you can hardly find anybody that plays all seven games i mean just just talk about those two teams with miami and boston uh and their playoffs butler has been hurt one game uh uh kyle lowry has been out several games Oladipo's just coming back from injury. Uh, PJ Tucker's missed a couple of games. I mean, they're they're, they're and then uh, uh, Rob Williams is out for Boston uh, a couple of games. Uh, 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 Smart has been out. Uh, then you've got uh, uh, Tatum has been hurt shoulder. I mean, uh, the, the, then uh, Horford was out for a game. I mean, nobody's playing all all every game anymore, Jim. It's astounding. I think that's an astute observation that, you know, I guess when you have, you know, um, this type of athleticism and also you're right. First of all, number one is that when you, when you have people, when you have like three people on every play 
hanging out at the three-point line, spotting up, looking for an open three, that's going to open the middle. And when you open the middle with these athleticisms and the physicality of the game that they're playing, they're spending a lot of time on the ground or getting hit in midair in, in like, you know, really weird sort of angles that, you know, they hit the ground with or they're, you know, when they come up and they, they don't necessarily hit the ground, but they land on one knee awkwardly or they're spraining an ankle. Uh, so I think that's an astute observation, and that is probably the reason. Case in point is John Morant. I mean, he just—he is just incredibly dazzling, dazzlingly athletic, and leaves the ground. But boy, he hits the ground a lot, Super Dave. And that floor—I mean, does not give much, Jim. That they haven't changed the floors, and since I was playing, and that is just always hard when you hit that. Uh, uh, those floorboards. So, yeah, you know, that's a, a perfect example of the modern ball player in John Morant. And, but they're, like I said, they're, they're all having these moves uh, that, you know, were, were unseen 20, 30 years ago. I mean, they, they were, uh, it, it's just at a different level, but now the three point shot is sort of uh, brought that back because the, the, the uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, the inside was clustered. And you'd have a big man there as a rim protector, and the, everything was kind of more packed into the key. And, uh, not anymore. Now it's they're spread out around the three-point line. But then if they they come out there, there's room enough to drive, and then you see the bodies go in the air and on the ground. And I think that is really has uh, has to account uh, for a lot of the injuries. But it's it's a strange sort of uh, playoffs here in the NBA. In 2022, Jim, because I have I cannot remember so many blowouts, so many games that are over in the first half uh, as I have in these playoffs. You know, it's it's really amazing that there are so many blowouts, and you know, each you know the the uh, the Phoenix series with New Orleans. There were a lot of close games and also the Memphis series with Minnesota. There were a lot of close games, but, you know, I mean, they're going back and forth. It's like, like when, when, when Golden State loses and maybe we can go to Golden State when they lose, it's like, they just mail it in. It's like, ah, we'll just forget about it and we'll put in all our reserves and maybe they can make a comeback. Because that's what happened uh, last series. Um, who did they play last series? Who did uh, they beat? Um, Golden, they beat Utah? Golden, yeah, Golden State, Golden State. Utah, I believe. Yes. And, you know, it was either they were run out of the gym or – oh, no, I'm sorry. They beat, they beat Memphis. So they either, they were either ran Memphis out of the gym or Memphis ran them out of the gym. I mean, it's really, it's really odd. And I just don't remember this happening like a long time ago. I mean, you know, like Jerry West said, okay, you know, the, the classic thing is I remember, you know, me, I always harken back to the Lakers and our glory days or almost glory days. Jerry West said that if he would have scored 15 more aggregate points in NBA eliminations, he would have had four titles, 10 more points. 
That's how close it was. You know, those were nail biting. And now they just don't have that. I mean, it's just one team blows the other team out. And like, like last night, I mean, it would, that game ended up being what a 12 point game with, with, uh, sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place here, but the Celtics and the heat last night was a 12 point game, but it wasn't nearly that close super Dave. You know, in trying to account for that, like you are Jim, in my mind, I'm trying to get an explanation what it is. And what I, what my theory is that with the three point shot, and as many as they're taking, now they're taking up to 43-point shots a game. Uh, and shooting, as, as we know as former players, Jim, is a streaky sort of thing. You're, there's days when you're on and there's days when you're not. And I think what happens is one team gets hot the, uh, and the, and the three-point line can, you know, you can, with three shots, you can, you can make up nine points. And I believe that in the playoffs with the pressure still at its height because they know what's at stake in these last few series as we get to the championship series. I think that the, uh, when, when all of a sudden you get down by 9, 12, 14 points and the, te the team that's hot just keeps putting it up and keep, keeps nailing it and the other team is getting more negative and being more desperate, I think that could be – and once again, these are just theories that we're uh, uh, – espousing Jim, but I think that could be a reason for the blowouts is the, uh, it, it's a matter of who's hot and who's not. And when one team gets hot, the other team gets, gets more desperate and kind of gets out of the game plan and the game gets out of hand. That's my theory. I think that, I think once again, another astute observation because of the fact that, you know, it's, they're so streaky now and, you know, what they did like in in Dallas is they really they're really catering to the three point shot. And when they go, you know, when they go 17 for 40, like they did two days ago, they win the game. Dallas wins the game and Golden State, even though they shot decently, they shot like 35 uh, percent from the from the three point line, which is decent. They couldn't keep up with with uh, Dallas, who was, you know, almost forty five percent, almost fifty percent from three point land, and that's the only way. By the way, Dallas can win, is they have to hit in the mid forties because they they don't really have an inside game at all. I mean, at all, unless unless uh, Luca posts up. And with Porzingis gone, I mean, they've got they've got nothing else but a, a gang of three-point shooters that are not afraid to pull the trigger. And that's what happened in game four is Luke and company got hot from three-point land and routed the Golden State Warriors. And the Golden State is a team uh, – and I think one of the problems also with Dallas – is their defense because Golden State now uh, doesn't doesn't really uh, rely on the three point shot. They can shoot it as well as any. Of course, with you know uh, with, with the uh, uh, Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson being the great shooters that they are, and now uh, Jordan Poole has entered the picture. But they still take the ball to the hole a lot, and and it just doesn't seem like Dallas can stop the penetration. And when you penetrate like that. 
then that by its very nature opens up the outside. And uh, it, I just think player for player, the only thing that's uh, uh, keeping Dallas in this uh, series is the, a Luka Dantic, which is uh, he's nearly unstoppable. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's it also it, it's people like Reggie Bullock who hit who hit 10 threes. Now he hit he was six for 10 in the game where in game four where they beat him. He was 0 for 8 in the, the prior game where they lost. So the role players are going to shoot better at home just because of the energy and the crowd, the backing. And that, you know, I mean, that's statistically true in the NBA. The role players really do better on the, uh, at home than on the road. And people like that and Finney Smith and some of those other guys, you know, they are inconsistent from three-point land. I mean, the guy that's really impressed me who has really come out of nowhere, he was a second-round pick, is Jalen Brunson. I mean, that guy, he he is like hell when he posts up. Oh, and man, what moves to... he has in the lane, Jim. Oh, Wait. what footwork. He goes left and right and up and down, and it's a, he's a blur in that. Uh, he, he's a wind-up toy in the middle of the, the paint. He's truly an amazing, unique player. And I see him, Super Davis, being like a three rather than a two. You know, Dallas is, is you know, missing a, say, a Jalen Brown or a Clay Thompson or a, you know, a, you know, somebody who is a second, you know, who is a number two player, you know, a Scottie Pippen or an Elgin Baylor, if you want to go back to the old times. So I just don't think Dallas has enough firepower to sustain sustain itself. And I think they're going to be done after the next, the next, uh, you know, the next game. But let me ask you. You almost called it. You call, I think you called the Golden State sweep and uh, you almost had it there. Yeah, but, you know, we like to pat each other on the back. And three months ago, you picked Golden State to come out of the West. And that's when it was looking bad because Clay was just getting back. Draymond was out. Steph was hobbled. And they were relying on a bunch of rookies and second, um, you know, and second year players that really were able to prove themselves, gain confidence and experience while the core was hobbled, you know, the three core, the triumvirate, and that has served them well, Super Dave. Well, that was actually, you just identified the key to my theory, was that I thought that they would peak at the right time by having their core almost not resting necessarily, but, you know, because of their their injuries, they weren't getting beat up down the stretch like they were, and then the bench guys were getting the chance to play and then all of a sudden, you put all that mix together uh, that Steve Kerr has and the, the brilliant way he uses his bench uh, and the way they move the ball around, they're, they're just a force. Uh, and now they've got some, uh, uh, some you know, uh, firepower for rebounding in addition to their shooting. And, and, and they are just a, a handful to deal with because I think Looney uh, – uh, at center is doing a, a hell of a job playing defense, protecting the rim, 
and getting the easy shots inside. Draymond Green, of course, that we always talk about is, uh, you know, is the, the kind of the engine that makes that whole t- uh, machinery go. And then Andrew Wiggins is just, I mean, 15 to 18, 19 points every game. He's very consistent. Uh, you put that with their superstars, and that's a that's a forcible team. And we've mentioned it before. I I still say Kuminga is going to be something to to deal with next year. You're going to see him be one of the uh, stars of the Golden State Warriors in 2023. I I see the dynasty in really healthy shape. I really do because what you got is you got you know the core is selfless. And they're so dedicated to winning. I had to laugh is that Dallas is being blown out in San Francisco by 26 points. And they call, the referees call a foul on Draymond Green. And Draymond Green, Super Dave, is indignant that they called a foul. Even though they're up by 26, <laughs> he's vehemently arguing with him. He didn't cuss. Draymond Green didn't... argued? You're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, can you believe it? <laughs> and the thing is about Draymond is he's such a pro at arguing now that he knows how close he can push it without getting a technical because he does it all the time. But the fact is they're up 26. They're blowing them out. Most players would go, ah, the heck with it. But not him. And also to Looney. I mean, Looney came out of UCLA, you know, just hasn't done much. He's been a contributor and they have developed him at Golden State. And he is a rebounding force. So in the elimination game on the road in Memphis, he had 21 rebounds and five assists and three points. And like five blocks. I mean, the guy is a monster underneath. And the thing is, is I love a, I love a rebounder who can pass, who doesn't shoot. I mean, you endear yourself to the teammates because they can bomb away. I mean, Randy Larson would have loved to have played with somebody who could rebound like that and pass him the ball so he could shoot Super Day. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the beauty of a guy like Looney and the kind of the modern center – I mean, there's this big controversy now about uh, Embiid not being on first team all all NBA. But uh, the fact is that the big guys now are there's so many swing guys in the NBA. They're all generically, uh, physically able to go in and outside and play defense. So no longer can you pull uh, the center away from the uh, underneath the hole and and think that he's going to be uh, in deep water out there with the the, the quickness. Because Looney's got the quickness of a of a small forward, but he's playing he's playing mostly uh, inside. But he can go out and guard those guys. So defensively, they're flexible. Offensively, uh, they've they've got all the mixture. And like you said, you use the word selfless, and that's how they play the team. That ball moves around. And Draymond Green could be on my debate team anyway, anytime. Because you're <laughs> right, he 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 just is he goes full throttle whenever he's out there. And it's uh, yeah, he's the kind of guy that really irritates you if you're against him. But boy, I'll tell you, I would love to have him on my team. Me too. I'd hate to have him guard me though. Yeah. So you know, and the thing is, is the Golden State, you know, the dynasty is in really good shape. And I'll tell you why: is you have the three guys 
the you know the 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 triumvirate you know green clay and steph they're kind of sunsetting out of their prime they're in the early you know they're in there probably just entering their mid-30s so they're going to dissipate but then they have three other players that i can see them handling handing the mantle of responsibility to and that is Kominga, who you mentioned, who is unbelievably explosive and strong. And, you know, and he's really raw. And you know that a, that a team like Golden State can really develop somebody like that, like they did Looney. You also have Andrew Wiggins, who's entering his prime, too. He's in his mid-20s, and he loves being a supplemental player. And then you have Jordan Poole, too, who is incredibly explosive. So I can see these the three triumvirate now, the three domination, the core, sunsetting into role players while these other three step into the prime, you know, the prime time, the, the light become the, the all-stars. And then supplemental players like Looney and Otto Porter Jr. My Lord, when he's in there, he makes things happen. And then they've got a huge center that's been out for the last year and a half, James Wiseman, who is, you know, if he can come back and give them a, uh, a like an Aiden presence in the middle, I really like the, the Golden State Warriors, and also, too, you know, they'll have, what, the fourth to the last or third to the last pick in the NBA draft. Now, if this was a Lakers pick in fourth to the last, they would have no idea what they're doing. But Golden State, they're going to pick somebody who will develop and be good and contribute, maybe not be an all-star, but be a role player to contribute to their dynasty that I see going on for the – the foreseeable future in in San Francisco. No, I concur, Jim. I really do. I I do think two or three years down the road, this this team just gets better. They work uh, they work so seamlessly together, and it's just gonna gonna get and and they're and they're really. I don't see anybody that emerges to the point where their their salary would become you know too top heavy. I think they can manage all the salaries. I think they can keep this team together. And you mentioned the young guys mixing with the veteran guys getting older. I think it's a great combination. And, uh, yes, I would look for the Warriors to be right here in the deep into the playoffs for the next two or three years at least. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, they're, and they could bring in somebody, you know, who wants to be a free agent, who will take less money, that wants to be part of a selfless culture and I'm sure there's people in the NBA that are going to be free agents. I think oh, how about Russell Westbrook? Let's get Westbrook over to the uh, Warriors. <laughs> I think that would be a great move for them. That would give, that would give the Lakers a chance. Yes, maybe Steph Curry for Russell Westbrook. You think they'd do that? <laughs> ah, I tell you, I would. Uh, I would make that uh, make that deal in a heartbeat. I, hell, I'd give. Uh, I'd give Anthony Davis for Steph Curry, and then throw in uh, Westbrook as a as a sweetener. I would trade all the Lakers, their entire front office, and 
all their players for Otto Porter Jr. and well, to start over. Let's segue real quickly to the Lakers front office as you just brought them up because oh I am so confused at who's making the decisions there. Now, when you when you tell me that Phil Jackson is going to be uh, consulted uh, to, and you already have Rambus and his wife in there, and Polinka is supposedly calling the shots, uh, but then you've got Magic Johnson, who still has input. Uh, Jeannie Buss, I don't know what she's doing, but she's it's chaos. I've never seen a front office, a management of a high-profile, legendary franchise like the Lakers be so you just can't have that many chefs in the kitchen, uh, Jim. It just doesn't work. It's reprehensible and scandalous. They are the brand has been. I mean, the current people that are running the Lakers, and you're right, there is nobody actually running it. It's like a bunch of people are, you know, who knows what it's going a ship on. with no rudder and it's a sailboat with no sails. It's it is horrifying to see such a, 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 a iconic franchise go so deep in the hole. And I don't see any way out because all Genie buses adds more chefs to the kitchen and fires, fires the people that have been in there that were doing the cooking. Oh, they're, they're urinating on the brand. They're oh. defecating on the brand. I mean, it is disgusting. Okay. And, and then they use, okay. So, then they use Frank Vogel as a scapegoat. Oh, I mean, give me a yeah. break. Fire the coach when it's uh, the, the team was put together with bubble gum and bailing wire. Oh, so they were their starting roster at the beginning of the year. I don't know about the end of the year because you have people going in and out in the G League and stuff like that. But at the beginning of the year, it was the oldest team in the NBA and the oldest team in the NBA history. And it was filled with, you know, with injury players and people that don't play defense like Westbrook. He led the Lakers in minutes and he doesn't play defense. Yet Frank Vogel made them only the 12th worst team in the NBA in defensive efficiency. Now, a team like that should be absolutely the worst defensive team in the NBA. Yet he made sure that there were 12 teams that had worse defensive efficiency than the Lakers did. And to me, that is genius. How do you, how do you getting, evaluate coaches in the NBA, Jim? I, I take a look at their roster and how they play defense. I mean, that's what I do. And how they, you know, I take, you know, so – so the NBA coaches, I look at the X's and O's. I look at the culture as how they develop players that are not, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, the Lakers of the past. It's one thing to bring in Magic Johnson and James Worthy, who were first in the draft. But it's another thing to bring in Michael Cooper and have him be one of the most premier defensive players in NBA history and be a third-round pick. Or somebody like Derek Fisher, who played on six NBA championship teams, and he contributed every time, and he played at Little Rock, Arkansas, Little Rock, not even University of Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas. And he was the last player picked, I believe, in the first round. So 
culture develops players. I think that the X's and O's with defense and defensive efficiency relative to your talent really dictates it. Like Frank Vogel, to me, I would draft him. I'm sorry. I would hire him in a second to be my coach. Okay. Let me me agree with you partially uh, uh, how you evaluate, but let me just add one factor here that, that Vogel so represents in my mind. In, in this modern day of NBA basketball, we hear post-game interviews with coaches all the time now. And I like to sit and listen to those interviews to see, especially after a loss, what is the coach doing to make adjustment? How does he assess his, his personnel? And I listened to Vogel, and not only was he unemotional and not panicking, pushing the panic button, but I saw him trying different things and explaining himself very articulately, by the way, why he was doing what he was doing with what I thought uh, was a, a horrible roster that he was burdened with, not not uh, presented with, but he had the, the most impossible mix of players and personalities and situations. But each post-game interview, in addition with the X's and O's you're explaining about and the defense that you said was credible when they didn't really have credible talent out there, I could see by how, you know, and you can hear and see how people think by what they say, Jim. And you and I know enough about basketball to understand what he's saying. And at no point did he throw in the towel. Did he get upset? Was he blaming anything? He wasn't pointing the fingers at anything. He was making as many adjustments as he had. And I thought uh, quite contrary to firing him, he did a brilliant job. And I'm with you, Jim. You and I start a franchise. And by the way, get an investor and let's do it. Uh, let's hire Vogel as our coach and start from there. There's no question about it. And, you know, amongst this sea of chaos that is the Lakers, amongst this dysfunction. Get on amongst, your couch, Jim, would you please? I think you need, I mean, it was, I think you need to was, close your eyes and calm down a little <laughs> bit here. Uh, and let's just kind of go back to your youth, okay? okay but, so there's. You're right, though. The only I saw one element of class in the sea of dysfunction and blame and and this just terrible what they've done to the brand. And that was Frank Vogel. He was the only one that demonstrated any class. You know, he'd get up there emotionless and say, "Okay, we're going to make the adjustments and this is what we're going to do. He didn't call out players. He didn't blame the front office. He didn't blame anybody. You know, he was all class during a time when the Lakers had no class except for him. I'm telling you, I I wouldn't be surprised if Jeannie Buss all of a sudden uh, hires Bill Parcells as a as a consultant. You know, (laughs) I mean, she, she has just got no control of that franchise. And, and bringing in her ex-boyfriend, Phil Jackson, is just going to add to the chaos. Can you imagine uh, Magic Johnson, Phil Jackson, sitting down with Kurt Rambis and his wife and Bill uh, Palenka? I mean, and then have LeBron, you know, on the speakerphone? Come on. It's just, it's, it's a total, I mean, what I would do if I were her is I'd fire everybody and say, Including Jerry, Phil. we're sorry. Jerry West, we're sorry we had come back and saved the franchise. He's the only one that can save the franchise. 
But it's just the Lakers are they are screwed for the foreseeable future. They're they're on the exact opposite track of the Golden State Warriors. Golden State Warriors are looking beautiful in the future. The Lakers are looking like hell. They just don't stand a chance. What was that legendary coach, Larry um... Brown? Larry Brown. I mean, that's next. That's next on Jeannie Buss's call out list. She's going to call Larry Brown to to come in and save the franchise. I mean, it is absurd. I've never heard of that many uh, administrators uh, in in a front office for a a, a, a professional franchise. That is just uh, unprecedented. And you can see what the mix is is created is is nothing but chaos. So. Uh, you know, I wanted to get to the subject a, a couple of podcasts back, but I think this was a appropriate, uh, even though they're not in the playoffs. It's this time of year, Jim, that you make the decisions that are going to uh, affect your franchise next year. And right now, I just see the Lakers going down a, 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 a just all the way down the drain. I see them swirling to the right and, and disappearing. I see, I see Jeannie Buss hire a medium and try and get in touch with Red Arbach and his cigar. And you know that Red Arbach is in the depths of hell. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah or a mentalist or something. That's a, that's yeah, I can, a hypnotist I can see. something. Right. Trying to, try to contact the dead to see who they should hire as coach. The thing is, it doesn't matter. Super Dave, you could coach the team and not do any worse. I mean, really. Well, thank I, mean, you, they're, you know, I, I don't think – I don't see – your knowledge of basketball would be just as it doesn't matter. Well, it's, you know, it it's funny you, you mentioned me coaching because the last uh, teams that I played with with Randy Larson, I was the coach and I I hardly played anymore, so I was just on the bench, uh, and I'd make the I, I'd make the substitution and everything. But Randy, when he came out of the game, would sit next to me, and he'd whisper in my ear what I was supposed to do. So. Uh, if, if old Randy was around, uh, they, uh, Jeannie Buss could hire Randy to, to help whoever ends up the coach on the bench. Well, Randy was such a ferocious Laker. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Sorry, Randy. Uh, he was such a huge Boston fan because he grew up in the Bay Area and, and he loved Bill Russell. And that's where, you know, Bill Russell went to University of San Francisco and so Larry, so, so uh, Randy Larson would tell Jeannie Buss to pound sand if they asked him to coach the Lakers. He could do it, but he would never want to because he's such a Boston fan. And I'm sure he's excited about the Boston Celtics. And Super Dave, what do you see in there? How do you see that series? Three well, I, Boston, I'm actually right? shocked that it's three, three to two because – uh, I just don't see how Miami can stay with Boston. I think uh, the Celtics have made a, a few mistakes uh, uh, that I think have cost them, you know, in, in, in some of the games, but I just don't see how the Heat can stay with them, the, uh, especially if they have Williams back 100%. He's missed a couple of games. Uh, uh, Jason Tatum is, is uh, I think his shoulder's okay. He can be caught and cold. Uh, I don't know what's happening with Jalen Brown and his ball handling, but boy, they can't let him hunt. I don't know he's he's just a turnover machine, and I think that's the only thing that could be keeping the Heat into this 
series because uh, I, I look the Celtics to, to finish them off here pretty quickly, but I, it shouldn't have gone this far in my opinion, because I think that heat, the team is, uh, is, is showing its age at the wrong time. Butler is, you know, he's 36, uh, PJ Tucker is 37, uh, you know, and, and they're just, a they're dependent on those guys. And Kyle Lowry's in his mid thirties too. And he's not a hundred percent. I can't see how the heat's going to win another game. I agree. I just don't see it. I mean, I watched it last night and I watched Jimmy Butler specifically. And I, I love the guy. I love his competitive spirit. I love the fact that, you know, he goes to Minnesota and he tells all those punks in Minnesota, Carl Anthony Towns, when he was a cocky rookie and D'Angelo Russell, he goes, you guys are not willing to work. I'm out of here. And you guys, you know, so they got rid of, you know, they got rid of him. He goes to, he goes to Philadelphia and says, and obviously nothing is more right than this. He goes to Philadelphia. He goes, you either get rid of Ben Simmons, who's an idiot and doesn't like to play basketball, doesn't want to work. He just wants his paycheck. You either get rid of him or you get rid of me. So they they sent him to a really good place for his his intensity, for the way he plays defense, you know, down in Miami. I love Miami's culture. I love what they're doing. I love, what's it, Struess and Gene Vincent, you know, undrafted rookies contributing in the playoffs. You know, I, I, I love their – their team i love how hard they play but you're right i mean they're just beaten up and you know 30 you know you got how jimmy jimmy butler is 36 and tatum is 26 right 27 so that's the difference in the age group and you know i mean 10 years difference is huge in the playoff super dave i agree with you i just can't see just can't see Miami winning another game. I just well, you know, I admire Butler just like you do, and uh, and it's unfortunate. He, there's something he's not a hundred percent. You can tell that, and there's times when he's on his game. There's times he's not, and that that happens as you go into your late thirties. Uh, believe me, I I saw my game dissipate. But uh, you mentioned Ben Simmons, which is kind of ironic because uh, uh, Adebayo, the center. Is is he's all of a sudden he's afraid to shoot just like Simmons was in the last couple of games we saw him on the court for Philadelphia. Uh, Adebayo is is gotten open shots and and the, their fans are begging him to to shoot or they're they're ridiculing for not shooting. He's just giving it up. He's just a wasted piece of offense at that end of the floor. He he can't contribute anything now. I think that uh, Rob Williams has put a uh, you know a scare into him somehow. Uh, that he's going to be get a shot block because he's not even putting it up. Yeah, the difference between Bam having a good game and contributing offensively as opposed to being intimidated is Rob Williams. I mean, it's that simple. When Rob Williams is playing, Bam is overmatched in there. Totally, totally. Bigger, and you see, stronger. Williams is – I, Williams has blocked more three-point shots from the corner than I than I have ever seen. It's amazing. He goes from underneath the hoop. He'll race out there and and protect the outside as much as he protects the rim for uh, the Celtics. He made, 
He made a block on each side. Yeah. A block on the left and a block on the right. Uh, And, you know, it's amazing because he's sprinting out there. He's closing out. He catches the ball at the peak of its, you know, the, the, the shot, catches the ball, blocks it, and then comes down and is able to avoid the shooter. That shows remarkable agility. And the difference, because he was out in game, so they played five games. He's missed two, two games, I believe, and he's got a he's got a bum knee, Jim. He does. He's missed two games, and the one game that he missed, uh, Bam had thirty three points and like fifteen rebounds. It's the only game he did, and it's just you know there is nobody on. Celtics that can do what Rob Williams does. I mean, he's very much underappreciated there. And he's, you know, he's he's a monster underneath. And like you and I talked about, I believe he was third in the NBA last year in block shots. And he is the hub of their defense because what happens is that when he's in the middle, everybody else can fan out to the three-point land because you have somebody patrolling the paint and can, and can even get out to the wings for those three-point shots at the baseline. Oh, yeah. And then Mark is smart. Then he, he can he shuts down his guy. And then you got Horford playing defense. I mean, that's where we talked about it all through our podcast uh, all season long, Jim, about the, the strength of the Celtics is their defense. And, and for most of the regular season, it was Rob Williams. But now with a – missing a lot of games in the playoffs. I think that's what's made some of the Celtics series a little closer uh, than we might have thought, because that's why I'm just surprised that this is uh, series is so close. Because I, think, I think the Celtics should be able to close them out. And I think we're looking at what we talked about, you know, uh, many weeks ago that we're having a, a Celtics Warriors final series. What do you think, Jim? I agree. I agree. And, the two games, okay, there's two games that that the that Miami won, right? And one of them, Rob Williams was missing, and Bam had the 33 points and 12 rebounds or 15 rebounds and three blocks. He had his best game in the series. And the other game they won is when Jimmy Butler had 41 because Marcus Smart wasn't there. And Spolster was such a good coach is what he would do is he would, he would do picks and set picks and run plays. And all of a sudden it would be Pritchard who's having a pretty good series for Boston. You know, he's a little white guy, six, two. And what they would do is they would keep switching until Pritchard was guarding Jimmy Butler. And then Pritchard was toast. He couldn't stop Jimmy Butler. He's too big. He's too strong. He's too experienced and just too good. And, you know, Marcus Smart missed a game and Rob Williams missed a game. And those are the only two games that they won. And that is the reason that they have won two games, Super Dave. Oh, you've you've hit upon it because I was wondering in my mind, I'm thinking, why is the Heat keeping this close? Well, you mentioned Spolstra. And he's one of the keys to me. I just think he's a brilliant coach. And he's he brought the heat to a, a really a fine total season uh, body of work their whole, 
the whole season was because of uh, his orchestration. But yeah, those elements that you just highlighted, I think, are what's kept us close. But uh, I, I just don't see Miami uh, get, uh, winning another game here. And I do think we're going to get the matchup we've talked about, Warriors versus Celtics. You know, it is interesting that, you know, that we picked those two teams. And, you know, it's funny is because we picked Golden State because of their offense, their culture, their efficiency, their three-point shooting. And for Boston, we chose them because of their culture and their defense. And so it'll be a really interesting matchup. And I know it. You know, we may be a little premature. We may be jinxing ourselves, but I would be stunned if those two didn't play each other in the finals, they being Boston and Golden State. And it'll be an interesting contrast to see the defense and the the offense, the defensive team versus the offensive team, a little bit like kind of like the, the Lakers and Celtics of the 80s, Super Dave. Yes, and, and one of the factors you left out there that I had about the Warriors was the fact that uh, when I did pick them, they were they were hurting at the time. They were having key injuries to their to their big three, and uh, I I just uh, projected out that if they get healthy and they peak at the right time, and that's what's happening. But that is going to be a fascinating matchup, and uh, right now I'm leaning towards Golden State because. As good as that defense is for the Celtics, I just think there's too many weapons now on on the Warriors that you can't hold them all down. And you see uh, just a little bit of letdown, and, a, and we talked about a key injury to the Celtics, and all of a sudden the Heat were able to sneak two games uh, off of the Celtics. Well, when you've got a guy like Wiggins come into his own and you've got Jordan Poole, you know, kind of complimenting Curry and Thompson, uh, Dramon Green, you know, kind of uh, running the show again and then having Kaminga come off the bench. I think I think that's a team that's going to give the Celtics everything they can handle. And if we project out to the Warriors-Celtics, I'm, I'm leaning, Jim, towards the Warriors over the Celtics in that series, but that's a, a little ways down the road. But that's what I'm thinking right now. I'm thinking that as well. I'm also thinking that Boston, that Boston is a little more beaten up than the the Warriors. Oh, that's a good and point. I, that's another good point. Yes. And I also think that you know, with the proliferation of injuries going on in the playoffs, that if if Steph Curry went down and Jason Thompson went down. I think that, you know, the two best players on each team, I think that that Golden State could absorb injuries better because they are a deeper team. And let's face it, if, you know, there's another factor too, is I don't think that Williams is going to have the same impact on the wildness and the three-point bombing away of Golden State like he will, like he did with his other series, this one Miami. 
because, you know, they they do like to shoot from the corner, but I don't think Williams could get out and get Curry and Clay Thompson, who are more out on the wings rather than the baseline. That's true. So they, I don't, think, they don't depend a lot on the baseline three-pointer like most teams do. And also, you have championship pedigree on your side with Golden State, with the core. You also have more way more experienced coach because I can't think of the bot the name of the Boston coach it's a strange name but he's a rookie coach and it's his first time in the finals and all those players I do believe with the exception of maybe Horford have never been in the NBA finals before where the core of Golden State have been there they know the pressure they know what to expect I like Golden State in six. No, I, we're uh, as usual, Jim. We we are thinking a lot alike, and that, and I I do think the coaching mis, mismatch. Uh, uh, Charles Barkley calls him uh, Okie Dokie or something. It's uh, Udoka, <laughs> I think is how you pronounce Udoka, it. Yeah, something like that. I mean, he's done a stellar job. He has. I mean, he really has. But you're right. There's nothing like experience, and 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 Kerr has it. Also, as a player and a coach for successful franchises, and and he's just brilliant. How he and he's another one of those coaches, uh, Jim. That in the post game interview, you just can tell that he's not over. Uh, uh, he's not over excited about a win, and he's not over depressed or or negative about a loss. He's very analytical, understands uh, what's going on, and if he doesn't, he says I. I'll let I'll get back to you when I view the tape, but I, I really like the way he coaches. Uh, but that uh, that young coach for Boston is, is like you said, doing a phenomenal job. But for all the reasons you mentioned, I, I I'm I'm leaning towards the Warriors. But uh, this has been fascinating, Jim. That that you and I analyze uh, a, a little bit differently, but we come to the same conclusions very often. It is, and. Super Dave, we we're coming up on an hour, and I do appreciate you showing up. And as always, open mic time. Tell me what you're thinking about basketball, about Randy. You got the last word on the Jim and Super Dave show. Well, I am just so fascinated to continue to enjoy the NBA because uh, I go back so far in the game, and I and I see shots that I, I don't remember – being a part of my game or the the NBA game that I watched growing up. And I, I think back to uh, Earl the Pearl Monroe. Now, uh, young people will not know who that is, and and he's, he's not as legendary as some of the greats of the time. But what was unique about Pearl Monroe is I saw a move where he'd go to his left with his right hand, if you could imagine that, to pirouette uh, and, and go left with his right-hand dribble we had never seen that before Monroe did it. Now it's commonplace with the, the handles and, and the, the things that John Morant is doing and, and Luka Dantich and, uh, and some of the players today is phenomenal to watch. We're very privileged, Jim, to have seen the game evolve to the uh, level that it's at now. And I encourage everybody, if they haven't watched much of the NBA until this point, listen to our podcast, go back and review some of the old ones, and watch the championship series coming up, Jim. Super Dave, I thank you. I'm in Cabo next week. I hope to 
be able to run the podcast from Mexico and I'll be in touch because we want to keep this going and super Dave, as always, thank you for your participation and thanks to everybody that listened. See you, Jim. Bye, Dave.